Why do you think people want to be rich? People want to be rich because that means they can make other people feel jealous and then they'll make themselves cool. They want to flex their money and act like they're better than everyone else. They can buy a bunch of stuff. Be really famous and then make more money. Some people are very greedy. They might want to buy a big car or a bigger house. To like go out maybe to a fancy restaurant. They can show that they maybe they have a better life have all better food that they can stay alive longer. So they can show off and see that they can do what they want when they want it. A lot of people have like much higher level of money and a lot of other people have like no houses. They'd be happy but I wouldn't say other people would because if they like saw them they would be like a bit upset because all the money they have they're just spending on things that they don't need. Very true. And that's what today's Ecolution is all about. Money. Our interest in it and some people's desire to make more and more, despite the impact that it's having on our planet. And it's that imbalance between the people who have a lot and those people here and abroad who have a lot less that we're going to look at first. If only I had an expert in that subject available to me. So my name is Rory Hearn and I am a teacher in Maynooth University what I teach is our society, housing, education. So that's what I do. I also write books. I've written two books, unfortunately not uh, children's stories, but books on housing. And a new one is coming out called Gaffs. And I also do a podcast, which is called Reboot Republic. And yeah, that's me. Rory focuses his work and writing on our society and how we choose to structure it. And when you turn a magnifying glass on anything you start to notice its flaws. Some of you I know will be aware that there is people who live in poverty, some even not having enough money in their families to have food in the house at the end of the week. Some children go to school hungry and probably a lot of you are aware as well. There is the issue of people who are homeless. Yet you might also notice when you look around, some people have a lot of money. The question is, why are some people rich? And why is there other people who don't even have a home? That is a question about the type of society we have and the type of economy we have. Everything that we use around us has to be made by somebody or it has to be done by somebody. We think of our teachers who teach us. Where do they get paid from and who organizes that? And at one level, we have the government. And then other parts of the economy are the businesses and they make computers, make food, they run shops, and that's called private business. And the two things together, government and business, make up our economy. So an economy, in simple terms, is how we make money and how we spend money. As a world, as a country, or as an individual. The structure of the economy we have today has been built over centuries. But just because something has taken time to develop, it doesn't always mean that the shape it's in now is perfect. Far from it. When we look at the world the way it is today, we look at our government, we look at our schools, our hospitals, we look at our businesses, we think about climate, we think about the environment, and it should make us question, why is it like this? Was it always like this? Was there always this gap between some people who had a little bit some people who had a lot and then most people who just kind of have enough. Why don't we have a world and a society and economy where everybody just has enough? 
there are things called needs and there are things called wants. And in social policy and in sociology, which are the subjects that I study, we look at how are people's needs fulfilled. Okay, so what's the most important question to ask? What do you need to live? You need food, a house that's warm or an apartment, a bed, a place where you can wash and dry your clothes, then a nice school that you go to where you meet your friends, space in your home. You need to have time with your family and your parents or those who look after you. And then you need places to play and television or a computer where you can watch a bit of whatever you're watching. Do you need much more than that? Then there's other things which we call wants. Are the things that we like to have, but we don't really need them. And they could be the newest type of runners or they could be the newest tablet. The way our economy works at the moment and the way a lot of media and advertising works is that in a way they make us think more about our wants than our actual needs. This is where they make a lot of money. Because if they can sell you lots of things, they make more money. But the question is, do we really need them? For some people who are, as we call them, the rich or whatever, they seem to have all these things that they want, but they're not really things they need. But our system of our economy and businesses and media and advertising, which is called capitalism, is too much about trying to make money from selling to us what we think we need. But it doesn't really make us happy, but it makes a lot of money. And so I would question, is that a good way of running things? So... If capitalism as an economic structure informs so much of how we shape our world, surely it should be something we all know lots about, right? Right? Capitalism? I don't really know what that is. I've never heard of capitalism, really. To be honest, I don't know at all what capitalism is. I think it's um, capital cities, worst climate there because there are more cars going by and everything. And people writing capital letters at the start of sentences. I think capitalism is where people and businesses make most of the decisions and own most of the wealth. Capitalism is the way the world works. People using up a lot of stuff and then making money. And also, of course, when we make more things, it produces more emissions, it uses more plastic if it's plastic stuff, which we know is bad for the environment. And so in doing this whole selling us more and more stuff, it might make them money, these businesses, but it's not good for the environment and it's actually not good for us either. What is good for us is going out for a walk, going for a run, playing with your friends, looking after people who need help. In capitalism and it's important to call it that big companies they're all about producing things that can make the most amount of money and they don't even make things that actually last they make things to break so that you have to buy a new one and it's completely illogical and there are these things now called billionaires these things they're people they're called billionaires and it is crazy that we have a world where we have millions of people in poverty my point is the system doesn't really work at the moment for a lot of people. Billionaires. That's an interesting subject. Have you ever thought about how much a billion actually is? I mean, one million is a thousand thousands, which sounds like a whole lot of money to me. But one billion is one thousand million. 
And there are almost 3,000 people on this planet who can be defined as billionaires. In other words, they each have more than $1,000 million, and often a lot more. According to a recent report by the charity Oxfam, the richest 1% got nearly two-thirds of all new wealth created since 2020, and that is worth $42 trillion. A trillion is a million million, which sounds a bit like a Dr. Seuss poem, but that increase in wealth is almost twice as much money as is owned by the bottom 99% of the world's population. So that's most people. At the beginning of this year, Oxfam's research found that billionaire fortunes were increasing by $2.7 billion a day, at the same time as at least 1.7 billion workers now live in countries where the cost of living is increasing way beyond any raise in the income they receive. But how are we letting this happen? And what role do kids like us play in the game of capitalism? Well, new friend of the show, environmentalist Duncan Stewart, thinks it's hard for any of us to escape being part of a system as it's currently built. With media today and with social media and with the whole way we've gone over the last 20, 30 years and going continuously worse and worse in the wrong direction is this obsession with consumption and with affluence and showing off affluence in our in our lives, in our cars we drive, in the phones we use ourselves, mobile phones, the everything is driven around kind of what is regarded by our peers as successful and good. And when it comes to young generation who are so concerned now about their environment and about the impacts, and there's no doubt that we have a generation growing up in Ireland today that are concerned about these issues and want to, to be listened to and want to get their message out there. But in general, that same young generation, they're consuming at massive rates. They've fallen into the trap of consumption. And the whole education system up to Leaving Cert, the Leaving Cert especially, is leading them all into the wrong direction. It's all heading into this capitalist world, into careers that are going to make a lot of money for them. And, and you can understand it because it's going to be difficult for young people to get houses and there's no doubt that young people are, have major problems. But they all want to get on that ladder of success. And it's like an obsession. If they did their own carbon emissions of their own lifestyle, they'd probably be shocked, you know? If young people want to fight environmental issues and, and bring them to our society, they also have to bring these environmental issues to their own generation. And it comes down to things like even drinks, you know, I believe there's a drink now, an American drink that's here now in Ireland that is being treated like a cult thing here in Ireland. Young people are paying an absolute fortune for this. A drink? I think we need to find out more. Last week we were in Clondalkin recording with fourth class from Clonburris National School for an upcoming episode on rivers. And we thought we'd ask the experts. Prime is an energy drink. It was made by like two famous like YouTubers. KSI and Logan Paul invented it, yeah. And whenever a YouTuber releases something, it automatically goes crazy. They were so famous that everyone just wanted to buy it, especially in France. And whoever likes it will tell other people that they like it. It just goes off from there. I'm not sure like how to say it, but it's like good. It but it is too expensive and people put it up on websites for like crazy amounts. Shops want to have more expensive prices. Bottle could be setting from 8 to 15 quid. It's an okay drink. It's kind of good. I've never tried it, but people say it's very overrated. It's really hard to find and the prices are a bit too big for Some prices like are bad, like 15 euro, and then some good prices, well, not good prices, but decent prices for like 6 euro as well. 
because people just want to make lots of money from it because they know how much it's worth. I think it's worth the money because it, it tastes nice. People say it's good because it's really big now, but I don't really like it. If you're 10, I think if you really want to get it, you can get it. But well, if you're a kid, you're going to really want to make your parents buy you something. So I just think that if everyone's raving about that, I want that. I give it a go. If your parents say you can't have it, then you can't have it. They don't like the amount of money that it costs because they think it's just a waste just for a drink like that. I think that as well. Most people in my class have gone. It's the best drink in the world. Because it's trending. Because KSI and Logan Paul made it. People with loads of fame and money and they're just making so much money off a drink. I'd say a lot of people would like to be rich like them because if you were rich, you'd be able to spend loads of money and I'd say most a lot of people would find the feeling of getting something as a good feeling. Then um, the more you get, if you have a good job, you could be richer and then richer and then richer and I don't know where I'm going from this. I'm not sure any of us know where we're going if we focus on consumption, on the buying of things that we don't need, despite the impact those things have on our environment. And there's no doubt that here in Ireland, our desire to want more is impacting. According to the EPA, Ireland's businesses, families and governmental structures emitted 3.98 tonnes of carbon dioxide and other gases for every person in Ireland in the second quarter of 2022. Ireland's emission levels are effectively double the average across the continent of Europe. So why do we keep buying into it? There's this idea that corporate capitalism and society we have today, well, at least people are free. But really the question is, are we really free when we are consumed by trying to survive in order to consume more? We have just become tools of consumption for corporations and that's not really freedom. If we look at the situation today, globally and here in Ireland, capitalism dominates our economic system and our political systems. And of course our businesses are all about making profits. And in fact it's even treated as if something great if we make huge profits and become millionaires. And of course when we become millionaires, we amplify the amount of damage we do to the environment. The richer we are, generally, the greater the impacts we have on climate change. I mean, wealth and consumption drives the impacts of climate change and of biodiversity loss. So the richer we are, unless we are particularly conscious of the damage we're doing and discerning about our actions as we get richer, we have to realise we are falling into that trap of thinking we're successful and we're regarded by everybody else as being so. So our self-esteem might be very high, but we forget that we're doing the lion's share of the damage to this planet. Small population of wealthy people. Okay, so the richer we are, the greater the damage we're currently doing. And this search for more money seems never ending because currently how we define our success as individuals and as countries is tied to how much we make. This economic subject measures the value in society and how good a society is doing by what is called economic growth and it uses a measurement called gross domestic product, which is GDP. But the problem with this is it measures things like how many products are produced in an economy. It measures things like how much money is being made in the economy. It doesn't measure what's people's standard of health, how happy people are. It doesn't measure your level of poverty. It doesn't measure how good and how well resourced your schools are, your hospitals are. We have this strange, very narrow measuring of what is 
a successful economy or a successful country and this idea of growth. And of course, growth is based on constantly increasing consumption. And that is at the heart of what is wrong with capitalism, that if the economy isn't growing, you're in a recession. And a recession is the worst thing you can be in because then you're not growing. But if growing only comes from consuming more and more things, then that is obviously completely against what we need to do for the environment, which is reduce the amount of things we are consuming. So the way we measure our economies as being successful or not is fundamentally flawed at the moment. We should be doing well when we're consuming less things and when people are healthy, have homes, have decent schools, are not in poverty. And there's actually new ways of measuring economies. They're called well-being indicators. Really, we should be using that as our indicator and our way of measuring economies. And I think that would be a really good way to start measuring those things as what is a successful economy. And if you ask any kid, they'll probably agree. We can make it a world of the fair place by sharing our money and not being so greedy. So, if the system doesn't work for us or for the planet, I guess we need to investigate alternatives. Hi, I'm Roshan Markham. I'm a designer, I'm an innovator, and uh, during COVID, I started hosting weekly conversations about donut economics and what it might mean for Ireland. So, donut economics it was written and developed by Kate Rayworth. Economics is, is scary, right? And I'm not an economist, but donuts aren't scary. So the idea that she used a donut to explain donut economics is kind of interesting and makes it much more accessible. And the whole point of donut economics is to help us reclaim our relationship with economics so that we can think about how we live and the systems we live in differently. So the donut consists of two circles, an inner circle and an outer circle. And the outer circle is the ecological ceiling and the inner circle is the social foundation. So the space between both of those circles is known as the safe, just space for humanity to live in or thrive in. And that's an important thing for us to consider as, as we're looking to what kind of a future we're going to be living in. So to simplify what Kate Rayworth suggests, as it is very complex, the outer ring of the donut, it's kind of the ceiling. The planetary boundaries of pollution, biodiversity loss and damage that we have to avoid, and in fact, reverse. The inner circle of the donut is made up of the real needs of a properly functioning society, like food, health education and equity across the planet. The idea is that we find that safe just space between both of those circles and that nobody should fall short of the circle in the middle, the hole in the donut. It allows us in that really simple shape to relate to those things in a system. They're often presented to us as separate things. They're not separate, they're interlinked. The donut makes sense to me, as well as being delicious. Mmm, donuts. So, why is it something that we haven't yet jumped at in this country? So Ireland really could become a much fairer society if we made some changes. It's an interesting one because it shows kind of what we call the contradictions of capitalism, which is that on the one hand, you know, it brings improvements, it brings money, it brings wealth. But the real lesson, if that wealth isn't shared, if it isn't put into investment in things like schools and hospitals, then you don't benefit from that growth. And what we have done in Ireland is we have 
done this really bad thing, which is our tax system. And our tax system essentially is a way of making your country more equal. What is stopping Ireland from becoming more equal is that we have a tax system where we don't actually get those who are on really, really high incomes to pay a decent or fair amount of their income in tax. And in particular, we don't tax the big corporations who are making huge amount of money. So they're only paying a very small amount of the money they make back into things like health and education and childcare. And what's even worse is they use some of Ireland's tax system to stop paying tax to countries in the global south as well and takes their tax away from them. And tax is really important. And part of the issue of why Ireland hasn't made the big changes that we could and should and need to is that there's a fear of those in government that they might upset the people who make the big money. And the people in the big businesses think that, oh, the only way we'll survive is, is if we, and we have to keep making money and make as much money as possible. And so it's a failure to realise that actually our societies would be much better if there was a much fairer sharing around of the resources of the money that we have in the society and everybody would be better off. So in theory, there are solutions, but they're going to take us convincing people in positions of responsibility that making these changes is of real importance to us. Because if you make a system that helps people change, they'll happily go along with it. Just ask a young economist. Hi, I'm Tom Knobloch. I'm a transition year student in St. Brendan's College, Killarney. And I won the Junior Young Economist of the Year Award last year for my project, Can Economics Save the World? It's a, a project that started in 2013, I think. And its aim is to promote economics in secondary school so that students are more aware of how it's applicable to everyday life. Economics is tricky. It's a tough one to understand, but it's just the way you link finance to everyday issues and things like that. One of the things was that you had to link your project to the sustainable development goals. And I had this idea that came essentially from my dad who'd been always talking about getting our house done up and things like that to make it more energy efficient. And so I decided to do my project just looking at the whole kind of information around retrofitting and, you know, getting like all those different things done to the houses. Now I'm involved in a thing in my school called the Sustainable SEM. And that's kind of an initiative to try and make our school more energy efficient and more green. But I think doing the whole project really helped me to kind of understand the whole issue and how important it is. With my project, I looked at the government's current approach to try and kind of alleviate the whole issue of climate change and to try and get ourselves out of the hole that we're in. But really what I found was that there are a number of steps that they're taking to try and do it, but I feel like they could be doing more. People want to embrace a move to within those planetary boundaries Roisin mentioned. But right now, within a profit-driven system, that change is out of reach for a lot of people. One of the old suggestions that I had was kind of doing a more efficient grant and loan scheme so that it would make it more accessible for everyday people to do their bit for the environment and to try and become more environmentally friendly. Because as good as a grant is and as much as that can do, it's very tough to make a difference when you can't afford to make a change. When you look at it, it's the same thing with the grants for getting an electric car. To get the grant, you have to be trying to purchase the car first and to try and get the car. Like, a car in general is expensive enough, but to have to buy a charger for yourself is even more expensive. And 
the grant can only get you so far in the whole process. So at the end of the day, it's only the people who can actually afford to make the change that make the change. And they're going to make the change anyway, because it might be cheaper in the long run. But a lower middle kind of class, it's tougher for them because they might want to make the change, but they just can't like do it because they can't afford to do the change. Tom and other young people like you and me see solutions. We see them as being quite obvious, but often it can feel like barriers are thrown up as soon as these solutions are presented. A lot of people take a very negative view of things nowadays, but I think especially in these times, you have to try and be as positive as possible. I think economics can't save the world because if the government took the right approach and put in all these loan and grant schemes and do lots of little things that can help people make a difference at their level, then it'll incentivize other people and people will bring other people with them. Everyone will decide to make the change because they want to make the change if it's available to them, you know. The pace of positive change can feel sluggish. So slow that it's like we're not moving in the right direction at all. But as Duncan said, we have the ability to push things forward. The question is, can we change it for the better? And there's different ways things can change. They can change when people decide to, for example, go out in huge protests on the streets. And some of you were probably involved with the climate change movements and the climate strikes, and maybe still are. And that really can bring about big change then there's other ways that things can change. There's a big word, interstitial ways of changing, which is that people start to make a different way of living in their own little places. And they don't change the whole world, but they start to change in around where people are. And then you have also changes within the system or symbiotic, where you work with businesses and work with government and say, OK, how are we going to change how you do things? And you talk to them. Sometimes it might be your local shop or it might be a big company that you or your parents might go talk to and say, look, I want things to be done differently here. How can we make this be done differently? And that's called these symbiotic changes. And even if some companies change and some governments start to change, all these different ways combined together, I think can make a much, much bigger change. We can ask for solutions and we can share ours too. Research suggests that if we put a tax of up to 5% on the world's multimillionaires and billionaires, that could raise $1.7 trillion a year. Enough to lift 2 billion people out of poverty. A poverty that is increasing due to the climate crisis. That's big thinking, but one of the biggest things we can do is to change our mindset. From a place of growing our wealth to instead growing our relationships with each other and with the world in which we live. We've got to stop demanding growth as the only measure of success. We've got to look at removing the human from the centre of everything and stop extracting. Stop looking at the planet as an extractive resource or material. It's not. It's the planet. It's our home. It's the only one of its kind in the universe that we know about currently. We have to re-engage and build a whole of society approach where we come together in our neighbourhoods, towns and villages as well and cities and all the spaces in between as well. What does that mean in your school or in your classroom or wherever you go to buy the things that you buy, whether it's buying clothes online or whether it's going to a store, what does it mean in those spaces? To me, that's the, the piece that I think Donut Economics invites us to think about and gives us an app or a, a way to think about it. This episode featured so many people that we need to thank. Rory Hearn, whose book Gaffs is out now. 
Dunkard Stewart, Tom Knobla, former winner of the PTSD Young Economist of the Year, and Roisin Markham of the Irish Donut Economics Network. Not to mention our brilliant Young Brain Trust members, fourth class from Clonburris National School, Clondalkin, and Clarehan National School in Clonmel, part of the ISSN. See, told you we had a lot to fit in this show. All of these contributors have brilliant ideas about how we can make a difference. Proof that you're not alone in wanting to see a positive future. Your generation and generations ahead of you, and most people in this country now want to make a country where we organize our economy and society on ensuring that everybody has their basic needs met, and importantly, that we do everything to reduce consumption, particularly of plastic or fossil fuels, and that we try and bring nature into everything that we have in, and are doing. And when each of us do a little bit together, we'll change it all. We have to decide what pitch we want to live in. If it's on the earth, then we have got to come back into balance. We can't continue the way that we have been. Gandhi, I think it was, that said, be the change you want to see in the world. And I, I really believe that and I really think it's important. Don't ask for permission. Ask your teacher for support. Ask your parents for support. But don't wait for permission. And I think that's the key, right? I think that children are very powerful and young people are very powerful and are passionate. And if you want to make the space for those conversations, you don't need anybody's permission. You can ask for their support. We can find a solution to this. I, I'm, I'm almost certain that we can. We need to try and solve it as a race of humans, you know? We need to, because future generations are depending on us. They shouldn't have to bear the brunt of our mistakes. Today's Ecolution was produced by Nikki Coughlin with edit assistance from Aoife O'Neill and Hugh Fowler. And it was presented by me, Evie Kenny.